Amen. And what a joy to sing to our holy God. I want to pray to him right now and ask you to join me in prayer if you would. Holy Father, holy God, uh, we come to you just grateful that you are, as you tell us in your word, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, the fact that we follow you as people is your doing in the first place, but it's also your work to bring to completion in us. You tell us that you are our sustainer, and you tell us that you are the one who will complete, be faithful to complete the good work in us that you yourself began in us. And so we come before you now, Father, as our sustainer, our perfecter, our completer. Because we recognize, God, that, that even as your children, as, as Christians who seek to follow you or as people who are seeking to understand you perhaps for the first time, following you, faithfulness to you in the midst of a divided and fractured world is very difficult. And boy, Lord, have we felt the dividedness and, and the fractured nature of our world these last couple of months, even this past week. We come before you declaring your holiness and that you are our sustainer at a time when we recognize that we need sustenance. In the middle of, of our nation's uh, election this past week and the preparations as we do every, uh, often every four years for a transition of power, God, we pray for our country. We pray for that transition uh, we pray for President Trump, and at least as of today, as best we can tell for President-elect Biden, all of those working with them, we pray that there would be a healthy and peaceful transition of power for the sake of our nation and the good of those who live in it. And that seems like a bigger ask these days than it might have even been in the past, but nothing is bigger than you. And so, God, we ask you for your sustenance and your blessing. We pray much closer to home uh, for your continued uh, guidance and wisdom given to Governor Brown and leaders, particularly at the Oregon Health Authority and others who are advising her in the midst of not only a politically divisive time, but a time when we continue to wrestle through the realities of a viral pandemic that is global and which medications seem far off from. Father, as, as skies darken and temperatures plummet and people go more indoors and concerns continue to rise about the coronavirus, we admit we, we wrestle with the balance between fear and healthy precautions and safety and yet also caring for ourselves relationally and emotionally and spiritually and proclaiming the gospel the way you've intended. Father, I pray that you would give the governor incredible wisdom as she seeks to balance all kinds of information, multiple competing agendas, and make the best and healthiest decisions in all ways for our state. I pray, Father God, that you would give her success in that area. And Father, for us as a church functioning in that environment, you have sovereignly ordained all of this. We pray for your, your healthiness within this church, not only physically, but spiritually and relationally. God, we pray for ourselves as followers of Christ and members of Harvest Community Church, that even as we follow and seek to pray for our political leaders as you have taught us to do and we do gladly, nonetheless would you help us not to put our hope in those leaders for our own future, but to put our hope in the reign and the rule of Christ and that that hope would be a witness to Christ. Father, we know that some members of this very church are rejoicing and celebrating and experiencing huge relief at the announced results of the national election this past week, while other members of our church are having exactly the opposite response. We're discouraged, we're worried, we're frustrated. And God, we knew all of this would come. We didn't know which side would feel what, but we all knew both sides would feel the same things. God, wherever we as followers of Christ and members of this church land on our state uh, political decisions, on our national political election this past week, we pray that you would lead us to be a people that put our hope not in leaders one way or another for our future, but to put our hope in you. And I pray that that would be a great witness for you. Uh, we pray that we would not just be a people who continue to lament the virus as, as long as these uh, restrictions and these masks and things have gone on and as long as it looks like they will continue. God, it is weary work. We admit it. It is weary work. But I pray, God, that we would be a people who are marked 
by not simply lamenting the reality of this virus, but people who think differently when the chips are down, people who think in Christ terms, that you would make us a people who are eager and open for what you would teach us in it, for you are indeed sovereign over it. You tell us that very clearly in your word. Over every good thing and every calamity that befalls man, you are sovereign over all of it, and you have your purposes. God, tune our ears to your voice. Tune our hearts to eagerly come to you, begging, God, that you would reveal to us how you want us to change, how you would sustain us through this time, and how you would use even that hard time as a great witness to our community. Grant us, Jesus, the gift of endurance. Grant us the heart and the passion and the perspective and most of all, the deep conviction of and experience and rejoicing of your love enough to run our race well and point people to you. God, complete that work in us even right now as we turn our attention to your word, as we seek to learn, as we respond in song and most of all with our lives. Teach us now, we pray in Christ's name. For our good and your glory, we ask it. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And as you are, I want to encourage you to grab a Bible and turn it one more time to the final book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, where we're going to see that, among other things, the primary calling of the Christian life is one of endurance. Endurance. Sticking it out until the very end. Whenever I think of this topic and some of the passages of Scripture that we're going to see this morning, I often think of the well-documented um, boot camp, or if you'll pardon the experience, Hell Week, that Navy SEAL recruits go through. There is famously a bell set up during the most grueling part of the training that pushes you uh, to and far past the point of absolute mental, physical, and emotional exhaustion, um, I know it'll be really surprising when you look at me when I say that I don't know that by experience. I've never been a Navy SEAL. Um, thank you for the laughter. That was a joke. Uh, it is true I've never gone through special forces training. Uh, I've, like a lot of people, read a lot about it. I've done enough exercising and grueling training in my life to just imagine how crazy a point that this pushes you to and past by design. But... Uh, a bell is set up during these training regimens and at any time you ring it and you're done. It's over. You want out, you ring the bell. It's the way to make the pain stop. Success means, because success consists of a hundred choices that trainees or recruits in the midst of this grueling program, a hundred choices they will make every day not to ring that bell this time. And all those choices add up. And if there's enough of them and they go on long enough, that's what success looks like. I was recently reading again about this. I stumbled across an, an interview from a Navy admiral who was reflecting on his SEAL training from many years ago and, of course, his involvement in the program still. He said this, quote, It is easy to quit in SEAL training. All you have to do is ring the bell three times and you're out. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to do anything. You ring the bell, you take your helmet off, you put it down, that's it. He goes on. He says, the one thing I'm always asked is, how do you get through SEAL training? By the way, the statistics I've read say that like up to 80% of the guys that go into this don't make it through. Man, if you're going to go into this, you want to know, how do I succeed? So he, he goes on, he says, I'm always asked, how do you get through SEAL training? I had a young man, he goes on, who was off to SEAL training about a year ago. He was a phenomenal athlete. I had lunch with him, and he said, what do, do I need to run more? I told him, no, I don't think so. Do I need to swim more, he said. Nope. I replied, do I need to lift more? He said, what's the key to getting through SEAL training? I said, it's simple. You just don't quit. Simple. Not at all complicated. Not at all easy. <laughs> Monstrously difficult, in fact, but not complicated. It is simple. You just don't quit. 
That starts to sound familiar the more you read the New Testament. Because it turns out that kind of mindset is the exact same kind of mindset that is not just something unique to special forces training. This is actually the mindset the Bible seeks to develop in the, in the life of every man or woman who follows Jesus. The Bible consistently describes the path of following Christ as one of sacrifice, as one of challenge, as one of difficulty, in which success consists of, as the Bible puts it, enduring till the end. That's what success looks like. It's a lesson perhaps more relevant now than at any point in our lifetimes. Uh, For most of us who are alive today, 2020 has been unprecedented in our experience. We've said it before, it's worth pointing out again that it's not really unprecedented in the experience of other Christians that live in other parts of the world, uh, nor is it unprecedented in terms of what the church has faced historically. There have been years and, and, and seasons that have been every bit this bad and in many cases significantly worse. And it's helpful to have that historical context, to, to put things in context. Nonetheless, for, for those of us who live in the U.S. And, and are alive today in 2020, for us in our experience, the kind of situations the church is facing right now are simply unprecedented. We've never quite done this before this way. An eight, going on nine-month global pandemic that doesn't show any signs of letting up anytime soon. Five, almost now six months of almost nightly riots and protests nationwide, including in our own beloved Portland. Weeks of wildfires that we endured and the destruction that you can now see all over the Western Cascade Range from just last month. And now a massively divisive political election, which as we all knew isn't technically quite over yet, and will drag on, and will eventually get resolved, and yet the divisions will remain. And those are just the biggies. That's not talking about the personal tragedies and griefs, the losses of loved ones, the serious uh, illnesses that members of our own church have all endured and dealt with, and the personal tragedies that go on. That is a lot. That's a lot for all of us. It's taking its toll. The responses of many Christians across the country in many ways have left a great deal to be desired. We're angry, we're fearful, we're worn out, we want it to all go away. Almost as if we didn't necessarily see this coming. And so what we've been doing as a church is we've been looking to the Bible's final book for some guidance. We're in the fourth of, of four short, uh, it's a short four-part series, uh, four Sundays, where we're looking at the Bible's most famous book, most infamous book perhaps, its final book, the book of Revelation, for four lessons that might, might shape and guide our thinking as a church and as Christian people in this time. During this season, we've learned four lessons. First, that life is war. So we need to develop a wartime mindset. Secondly, that, that Christ is one. And so Christian people put their trust in him, not in human saviors, political, scientific, or otherwise. Uh, thirdly, that heaven is coming. So we hope in that and we reject the false promises of short-term utopia. And today we come to the last lesson that really sums up the entire look that we've had at this book. And the lesson is that endurance is our calling. Endurance is our calling. Today that we're going to see that the Christian life is an endurance race and success really means simply to never give up, to just keep going. Here's how we're going to do that today. The, the text is going to be a little bit different in that we're going to fly much faster over a bit of a longer text. We're actually going to look at two full chapters of Revelation today. So clearly that means we're not going to be able to slow down and pick apart every little detail that we see. In a book like Revelation, I kind of feel bad about that because as many of you know, the book is just full of, of 
extremely colorful and extreme and wild imagery and symbolism that all beg for us to unpack them. What does that mean? How did that work? And we're simply not going to have time to unpack every image and symbol that we're going to see in these chapters this morning. I don't feel horrible about that because we actually did that about two and a half years ago when we walked through the book of Revelation over a several month period. And if you are interested in those and in the sermons, even on chapters 13 and 14, where we'll be this morning, uh, you can get on our website and go to past sermons and look up sermons from, I believe it was 2017, where we're going through the book of Revelation sequentially. And we spent much more detail on that then than we will today. Now, here's, here's the good news, though. The, the reason to fly over a larger text of Scripture more quickly is it allows you to get the bird's eye view. It allows us to kind of see where a whole section of Scripture is going and what it's trying to communicate. And the section we're looking at this morning is exactly that. You can get lost in the weeds of all the details and miss the overall point. This morning, I want us to see the overall point. And it serves as a great summary and, and, and recap and, and landing place for these entire um, four weeks that we've been dealing with. In fact, really the last eight weeks. For four weeks prior to this, we talked about our mission as a church, to pursue God and to pursue the church gathered, to pursue one another and to pursue the lost. And we looked at each one of those. Now we've been looking at these lessons from Revelation this morning. It's going to wrap all of that up very nicely. And I hope that as we leave this morning, if you've been engaging with both of these sermon series for these last seven or eight Sundays, that we will come away as a people with a shared vision of who God has called us to be right now in the midst of this pandemic so that we can lock arms as a church family and live effectively for him. Uh, by the way, before I forget, next Sunday we're going to do a standalone sermon on the sovereignty of God as seen in the Old Testament book of Esther. So I encourage you to read that this past week. And then that following Sunday, we'll begin our next series through the New Testament book of Acts. For this morning, we're in Revelation chapters 13 and 14. So if you've got your Bibles there, here's how I want to do this. I want to spend the first part of our time doing this quick walk through. About half of the time I have remaining, we will spend uh, just doing a quick summary and we're going to see two key anchor points, one in chapter 13, one in chapter 14, that tell us what to take away from these two chapters. So once we get our sense of what the text is, then we'll spend the remainder of our time pulling out three sort of lessons, three takeaways. How do we apply this right now? That's where we're headed this morning. First of all, as we do the flyover, we're going to see that this whole section of scripture is a call to endurance. A call to endurance. Let me set the stage and just remind you briefly that we actually left off three weeks ago at the end of chapter 12. We started this brief four-part series in Revelation. We began in chapter 12 and we sort of took it right up to the end where Satan, who is depicted in chapter 12 as a, a sea serpent, a dragon, he's there and he's fought a war in heaven and he's been kicked out of heaven and thrown down to the earth and so he's lost, but he's not quite totally vanquished yet. And chapter 12 ended with him going off in a rage because he's lost and been kicked out of heaven and he goes off to make war on Christians who still live on the earth. That's where we ended three Sundays ago, taking away the lesson that life is war. Life is war. And we're going to pick that narrative up here in chapter 13. Because chapter 13 goes a little bit uh, into more detail about how Satan prosecutes this war on the followers of Jesus now on the earth. And it turns out, according to Revelation 13, that he generally employs a dual strategy. He employs a dual strategy. He pursues two different tracks, two different modes of attack at the same time. The first one in Revelation 13, verses 1 through 9, is to employ brute force. He seeks to employ and deploy brute force against the spread of the gospel and all of those who would spread the gospel. And this brute force in Revelation 13 is depicted as a ferocious beast through whom Satan works. And nobody can stand against this ferocious beast. It's a picture of, of power. All forms of power, political power, economic power, social pressure and social power, and even physical violence, just raw, brute strength. All forms of power that are deployed in many contexts to attack and control Christians and thwart the spread of the gospel. And one only needs to think of places like Iran or Saudi Arabia today, where it is literally illegal, it is against the law to convert from Islam to Christianity. 
you will pay a serious price. It's a, you're a criminal if you do that. Living here in the West with the kind of access to, to religious freedom that we're used to, that's almost mind-boggling, but that is reality for millions of people who live all over different parts of the globe today. Often in these places you deal with things like police turning a blind eye to honor killings of new Christians. To convert is to take your life into your own hands or to put it in somebody else's hands who does not have your best interest in mind. And we start realizing this is what many of our brothers and sisters in Christ deal with. Maybe we get a bit of an appreciation for this big beast, this brute force through which Satan seeks to thwart the gospel very overtly in many parts of the world. Now, as you're reading these first nine verses, you land at Hebrews cha- or, sorry, uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, which issues a somber warning. If you've got your Bibles open, let's look at that. It issues a somber warning to Christians. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is the first of two verses I want us to see. Revelation 13.10. It's a great verse from the perspective of somebody who's reading the Bible. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) Verses like this are just pure gold in the book of Revelation. Because... Because the book of Revelation is a complicated and sometimes opaque text of Scripture. It uses all of this symbolic imagery, some of which meant a lot more to people in the first century than it does now. And so it can be difficult to interpret sometimes what some of the wild imagery is. And it can be a little bit hard when you're reading the book of Revelation as a 21st century Christian now to kind of say, okay, how am I supposed to understand this? And what do I take away from this? It's not impossible. It's just challenging. But every now and then, every now and then in the book of Revelation, the human author, the Apostle John, inserts an explanatory statement that's like the teacher showing you the answer key to the test before you sit down on test day. Every now and then he inserts a statement where he just tells you, here's the right answer, class, take notes. (laughs) Here's what you're supposed to take away from this. And this verse we just read is one of those instances. He tells us exactly how we're to interpret his message and exactly what we're supposed to do with what he's saying here in chapter 13. And here's the takeaway. The takeaway, life is war. Life is war. Expect it. And don't don't doubt or cave in your pursuit of Jesus because of it. Keep persevering. When he says to those who are to be led into captivity, to captivity they go. Those who be slain with the sword of the sword, they must be slain. It's, it's a call for Christians to recognize that following Jesus means there is an opponent who is using brute force and sometimes to follow Jesus means to pay a price. And that price may look different in the life of every Christian, but whatever price God ordains in my life that I'm to pay, hey, expect it, pay it, and endure and endure. Actually uses two words. This is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. They're really two sides of the same coin. Endurance means to keep steady on the same path. To to just keep going. Don't let anything knock you off that path, which is sorely tempting many times. The call to endurance is to keep pointing my, my bow at the North Star and to keep going in that direction as I follow Jesus. That's what endurance means. And faith means I keep pointing ahead because I believe. I believe that the payoff will be worth it if I do. That when I actually die and get to heaven, the benefits of that will far outweigh any sacrifice I had to make on the way. And and when I get there, I will be so glad I didn't quit if I don't quit now. And so with that conviction, I stay on course. That's what the Bible's calling followers of Jesus too. This is today's lesson. And it continues as we continue to walk through the text. Uh, The rest of of chapter 13, we won't spend much time on this morning. It's devoted to the second strategy that Satan employs. The first is brute force. Uh, The second is deception and seduction um, for the rest of chapter 13 starting in verse 11. This is depicted as another beast, not quite as ferocious, more of a sweet-talking and deceiving sort of beast that is deployed against God's people. 
This beast speaks lies and performs false miracles to persuade, rather than to force, to persuade people away from Jesus and the gospel. The idea is that, that Satan wants to thwart the spread of the gospel. He'll do it through force or deception. He doesn't care. He's happy either way, so he goes ahead and he uses both. And one who needs to think about the many false religions and worldviews that literally lead hundreds of millions of people to never even consider the gospel because they don't think they need it. They're good with their own religious beliefs to understand the power of deception to thwart the spread of the gospel. Well, that's chapter 13. Satan's dual strategy, his, his battle plan, and the call to endurance... But as the section of scripture continues, we come into chapter 14, and now the scene changes significantly, and it gets significantly more optimistic, significantly more hopeful, although the message, as we will see, is the same. We get to chapter 14. We now see a new picture. The first five verses of chapter 14 depict all of God's people together with Jesus in heaven, singing for joy because they are now finally with God. Right, it's that faith thing we talked about a moment ago. I continue on because I believe that when I get there, it will have been worth it if I didn't quit. I'm just going to hold on to that by faith. Now the readers of Revelation get a picture of people who have. They have held on to the end. They are there, and it's as if they're shouting back at us and saying, it is worth it. It is worth it. Keep going. So chapter 14 opens with this vision of God's people with Jesus in heaven singing. In other words, heaven is coming. Right? This sounds familiar. Life is war, but heaven is coming. We've already seen these lessons. Revelation is coming back to them again. Keep that in mind. And then it moves on in verses 6 through 11 to one more lesson, and that lesson is Christ is one. Christ is one. In these verses, they consist of three angels making three announcements in heaven. The first announcement is that God is the judge of the earth. He rules and reigns despite the chaos that it, it often doesn't look or feel like God rules and reigns. Oh, no, no, no. He is very much in control. And then the next angel comes along and announces that he will defeat, God will defeat and overthrow the evil world system that is set up against his people. In other words, all that nasty stuff that these Satan and his two beasts in chapter 13 are, are causing to happen, that will ultimately be overthrown. That's the future we have to look forward to. And then the third and final angel comes along and announces that all of the people, everyone who does evil to his children, who refuses to repent of that, God will judge. Final judgment will come. Evil and evildoers will be dealt with once and for all. When you put these three announcements together, the lesson becomes really clear. Christ is one. Christ is one. So, we see the same three lessons we've been looking at. Life is war. Heaven is coming. Christ is one. And what do you do with all that? Look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, which is going to sound familiar. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Do you hear the same language? It's the same calling. The words are slightly different, but not that much different, actually. It's the same calling as chapter 13, verse 10. Here, once in the middle and once in the end, you've got in these two chapters an explicit tipping of the hand. John says, I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to take away from this, Christian. This is a call to endurance and faith. In view of heaven coming and Christ winning, he once again calls Christians to endure. So how do, we, how do we summarize all of this that we've seen? This whole flow of thought through these three chapters of Revelation 12, 13, and 14. It basically amounts to this. Christian, because life is war, endure. Because heaven is coming, endure. Because Christ has won, endure. Endure. 
endure. Take the next step. Don't get knocked off course. Know that it will be worth it in the end. The calling of our life as Christians is endurance. So what does that mean? Practically, how do we do that? How do we put this into practice even right now today? The time we have left, I want to pull out three aspects of what it means to endure. We're actually going to borrow from the New Testament book of Hebrews for this. So I'd encourage you to turn back to Hebrews chapter 11 as we wrap up this whole idea of what it means to endure. How do we endure as Christians? What does the Bible have in mind when it says that? Hebrews chapter 11 is um, a very well-known list of many Old Testament saints who successfully endured and followed God. They kept faith in the language of Hebrews. They endured, in other words. And right in the middle of that list, we see verses 13 to 16. I want us to read those together. Because once again, it's an explanation of how we're to interpret the lives of the people that are being mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. So Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13. Having listed several people, it says, these all died in faith. They kept believing, they kept enduring. Not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking about that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. And therefore, for this reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared for them a city. You see what this text is telling us about what it means to have an endurer's mindset? Particularly notice in verse 15. We see a couple things here. First of all, to endure means refusing to quit when the opportunity is there. As we start to break down this idea of endurance to be very specific and very practical, you start to see one thing right away. Enduring means refusing to quit when the opportunity is right there in front of me. Like there's an element of choice, right? And you see that really explicitly there in verse 15. Of all of these people, these great examples of faith, well, if they'd been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return again. In other words, they could have turned back and bailed out at any time. And their life would have immediately become easier if they had. They could have quit at any time. The reason these people are examples for us is that they chose not to. They chose not to. Enduring means choosing not to quit. It means choosing not to ring the bell. Right? There it is. I just got to ring the bell and I'll be done. What does it mean to endure and have this lifelong of endurance? That sounds so big. That sounds so grand. Well, it is, but you know what? It's actually made up of a thousand little microscopic choices to simply not quit today when I have the chance. There's always a chance of quitting, is there not? You know, you're exercising. You're 20 minutes into your 30 minutes on the treadmill and you just feel awful today. And what goes through your mind? Well, I'll tell you what goes through my mind. I'm going to project that on all of you so that I at least feel better, right? You know, nobody knows how long I'm supposed to be on this treadmill. If I just stop and get off and like breathe really heavy, like, whew, I just had a good workout. You know, I can look really good, right? <laughs> but I don't want to do this last 10 minutes. And there's that moment, right? There's the bell. Nobody's stopping me from hitting that big red button that'll just stop the machine. You know how to make the pain go away. Just stop. Am I going to push the button or not? Avoiding Halloween candy? Just have one piece. Just one. The opportunity to quit is always there, no matter what we're trying to do. Don't ring the boot camp bell. That's what the Bible's talking about here. There's always a chance to bail out, to turn back, or just plain stop talk about a couple of those in a second, but what I want us to see here is that enduring simply means seeing that opportunity and choosing not to ring the bell, not right now. Closely connected to this is the second lesson from this section. If you flip down to Hebrews chapter 12, looking at 
the example of others is a huge help. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Having spent all of chapter 11 listing many, many, many people who have faithfully followed, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you see, that's, that's Revelation 14, right? That's the picture of people in heaven who have done it, and they're like, yes, it is worth it. Hang on there. You're taking it by faith now. We're actually experiencing the reality of it, so let that strengthen your faith. That's the cloud of witnesses, and since we have so great a heritage of people who have faithfully endured, faithfully served Christ no matter the cost and found that it was worth it. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with, there's our word again, endurance. The race that's set before us. Seeing the example of other people who endured and are living proof that it is indeed worth it is tremendously helpful. But the greatest example of all is our Savior himself. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who made us believe in him, the one who has the power to keep us believing in him, who, by his own example, he shows us how to do this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, his own difficult road, despising the shame. And he himself is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see what the Bible is telling us here? This is intense. Like, it would be good enough if we have millions of Christians who followed God and said, yes, it's worth it. That would be good enough to keep us motivated, but we don't just have other people. We have God himself. We have God himself who became man in Christ. A, a sacrifice, a, a, a leaving behind the likes of which we can't fully fathom. What did it mean for Jesus to temporarily relinquish his place in heaven and take on frail human flesh, the infinite to become finite, the all-sufficient to become dependent and needy on food and sleep and water, the ultimate living to become one who could and would die. But as if the incarnation, God becoming man, as if that wasn't enough, he did, in fact, die. His, his path that's referred to here is the cross. It's the cross. Jesus not only took on fragile humanity, but the Bible tells us, its central message, the gospel, the good news, is that he took on fragile humanity and then endured rejection, derision, false accusation, verbal abuse, he endured hostility. He endured injustice. He endured physical torture, the likes of which make your stomach turn when you see how artful the Romans in the first century were at making people die painfully and slowly as he was nailed to a cross. And after all that suffering, he ultimately endured death itself. And he did that, the Bible tells us, to pay for your sins and my sins. Here's the point. Jesus could have turned back at any time. He could have. He chose not to. His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in the middle of the night, right before his ordeal started that culminated in his death and eventually his resurrection, that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was the conscious choice for him to not ring the bell. Father, he prayed, if there is any other way, let it happen. I don't want to do this anymore. He's contemplating, I want out. Of course he wants out. Who wouldn't? But he didn't choose out. Nonetheless, he said, not my will, but yours be done. I will not ring that bell. I will walk the road that you have laid out for me, God, to walk, because I believe it will be worth it in the end. He was arrested, he was accused, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was executed, and it was by choice. And as a result, he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because he chose not to ring the bell, our sins were paid for. It wouldn't be if, if he had not followed through. The endurance of Jesus makes 
eternal life possible for us. Because when he went to the cross, he paid for your sins and my sins. When he died, he paid that penalty. And when he rose from the dead, he rose to an entirely new eternal life that he also offers to share with everybody who will repent of their sins, be done with self-reliance, and announce that he is Christ, the King and the Savior. That's the eternal life his endurance accomplished. And if you've not settled your personal accounts with Jesus, I want to plead with you to repent, to have done with your life of self-reliance and embraced eternal life in Christ. We would love to talk with you about how to begin a relationship with Jesus. If you want to let us know through a connection card, either online or here in person, or just call the church office, come talk to one of our pastors or elders or another Christian maybe that you came to church with, we would love to make sure you know how to find that eternal life. Christ's endurance is the ultimate example for us because his endurance is what gives us a spiritual life to endure in the first place. And there's one more lesson to take away from all of this, which doesn't really come from one verse. It sort of comes from summarizing everything we've seen so far. Endurance is, first of all, the choice to not quit when we have the opportunity. Secondly, endurance is helped by following the example of others, especially Christ himself. Lastly, Endurance is an active thing. It's an active thing. I hope we've seen that in everything that we've read so far. Uh, it, it means taking the next step. When the Bible talks about enduring to the end. It doesn't mean just, oh, I'm just going to hang on through this awful world till Jesus comes back and just sit here. That's not the idea of enduring. When the New Testament calls Christians to endure, it doesn't mean go hide in your little evangelical bubble where everything is nice and you can just keep your head down and build up the walls around you from that nasty world out there and just wait until Jesus comes and takes you home. This is actually the, the positive side of the coin. The, the negative side was our first point. Endurance means not quitting when you have the opportunity. That's the negative. But it also means something positive. Endurance means taking the next step. Just one. It means we stay in the race. We take the next step despite the pain in following Christ. As the old saying goes, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. A lifetime of faithfulness to Christ is actually made up of thousands of individual choices to just take the next step today. And so I'd like to end with considering what that might mean. We talk about taking the next step, running our race. Well, what race are we running? Christian, how would you answer that question? What race are we running? What is our goal? Jesus has already paid for my sins and I already know I'm going to heaven when I die. Why am I here? What am I doing? We sought to answer that question as a church this fall by recasting our mission statement in light of our rapidly changing and very diverse uh, circumstances. Our mission actually hasn't changed at all. It never does. But in light of the reality of this pandemic and the confusion of the world in which we live, we've cast it in the language of pursuit. We've been saying for this past couple of months that as a church we want to come together and think not about what we can't do, but what we can do. And what we can do as members of this church is really guided by four things. Of all the other stuff going on in our lives, if we can clear the decks and mentally and emotionally engage with our Savior on these four things, we will be succeeding. Those four things are to pursue God, to pursue the church gathered, to pursue one another, and to pursue the lost. If we're doing that, we're running our race, which actually now helps when we come to texts like Revelation 13 and 14, Hebrews 11 and 12, this whole idea of endurance. Now think of that first one. How am I pursuing my own relationship with God? We talked a lot about that in September and October, particularly recovering the lost art of meditating on Scripture. We talked about lots of different ways to meditate on Scripture. That is to not just read it or learn something from it, but actually have those lessons penetrate from our mind into our heart to where they shape our experience and affect our emotions and alter the course of our life. How do you drive truths from Scripture down to where they actually shape my experience? We talked so many, about, uh, many times uh, about so many things re with regard to that, and I've got to tell you, I'm so incredibly encouraged 
by people. I just, this last week in my community life group, a couple of, of members of that group who said, you know, before we said that, I didn't really know what meditating on scripture was or I've never tried to memorize a verse of scripture or anything. And now they're working on it. Like not because anybody's made them, but just because they're like, I want to pursue God. So I'm going to put effort and energy into this. And when I hear those kind of comments, my heart just rejoices. I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Enduring means sometimes getting up and seeing my phone with all of its social media apps and its text messages and its news and its games and seeing my Bible and just choosing to put that aside. All the texts will be there later. This five minutes, this 15 minutes, this 30 minutes, I'm going to spend with Jesus. How can you take the next step in pursuing a passion for Christ? If you're not even clear on whether you're actually a Christian or whether you've done business with Jesus, the next step would, get to, would be to get clear about that. We would love to help you respond to the gospel and know that you have eternal life. If you have made that commitment, what is your next step in pursuing a passion, and, a passion for your Savior and your God? What does ringing the bell look like? How can you bail out and go do something else? And when in those moments can you choose not to, but to just take the next step? A life of endurance is built on a thousand such choices every single month. Pursuing the church gathered. We've talked about the importance of this. We desperately need as people to be part of the larger gathering that keeps our eyes on the prize. We need to be together, to sing together, to be taught together and to understand that we're not just learning ourselves, but we're part of a larger family that is learning and doing the commands of Scripture together. Extremely difficult when we're in gathering limits because of a viral pandemic. So we've talked about how we're going to pursue the church gathered. I am so encouraged that despite the uncomfortableness of all of you here and in the multi-purpose room wearing masks having to log on and sign up like it's just so much more complicated than it used to be to come to church you know what i mean and then when you get here there's not nearly as many people as we're normally used to and so the experience can sometimes be a lot less than what we're used to so we work harder for less i'm so encouraged that every week we've done this nine or ten weeks now and i think every week but maybe one the hundred spots we have available have all been taken and the one week there was five or six left over. <laughs> now I got to tell you, if you haven't been here yet because you're saving spots for somebody else, trust me, you need to come. So I'm talking to all of you out there who aren't here physically. Uh, there is room for all of us. Those spots are filling up slowly and gradually throughout the week. So there is room for everybody who wants to be here. But church, I got to tell you, I'm so encouraged by all of you that are here, making the effort to be here to gather with kind of service watch parties, if you will. I don't really like that term, but that's kind of what it is in the lingo of the day. To gather in garages and living rooms and watch the service together with one or two other members of the church, infinitely better than doing nothing. So encouraged to see us pursuing the church gathered. So what does the bell look like in pursuing the church gathered? Goodness knows it's often easier not to. There's a thousand reasons to just not sign up and go this next week. Enduring means saying no to all the reasons not to pursue gathering if you can safely be here. So brothers and sisters, how can you take the next step in pursuing the church gathered? A lifetime of faithfulness is built on a thousand such choices every month. Pursuing one another we need to be in relationship with people who come, whom we come to know and trust. Enough that we can love one another, encourage one another, and help one another along in our relationship with Jesus. That's what discipling means. Being disciples who make disciples. It just means getting together with other Christians and helping one another along in our relationship with Jesus. Enduring means refusing to act based on what we can't do, but rather to act based on what we can do, even knowing that it is harder, it is more awkward in this day and age. Maybe I reach out and want to get together with somebody to get to know them, and they're like, oh, I'm not really comfortable getting together, and then it's weird because now they feel like uh, maybe I should be, and you feel like you've made them uncomfortable, and it's just easier not to ask those questions, right? Ding, ding, ding. Yes, it's easier not to ask those questions. Yes, it's awkward. <laughs> 
Yes, it's okay to want to get together with people safely. Yes, it's okay for them to say they're not comfortable with that. It's just awkwardness. It's worth pushing through because we need to pursue one another. It's exhausting. So I was so encouraged to see so many people here last Saturday just getting to know one another yesterday, just getting to know one another around tables and hope to see more of us next Saturday and the Saturday after we're trying to create an environment that helps take away some of that uh, initial inertia to overcome and just create a natural place to come meet and pursue one another. It's tougher to take the step of calling, setting up a Zoom meeting, or masking up and getting together, but the alternative is just to give up. How can you take the next step in pursuing relationships with other members of the church? And lastly, pursuing the lost. Members of Harvest Community Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we live in the midst of a community that is angry, hurt, disillusioned, divided, and nothing I just said is a surprise to any of you. We all know this. The people in our community need to see the impact, the results of Christ's love in us now more than ever. The bell, is just one I ring far too often in my own life, is to hunker down, to stay in our family bubble, and our network of friends. That's hard enough. And just exist. Enduring means continuing to pray for unsaved friends and family members and co-workers. Seeking opportunity to show and to speak the love of Christ. And when I wrote that point a couple of days ago, I felt convicted, and so I started praying again for a neighbor who I happened, coincidentally, to run into yesterday when it wasn't raining, out for a walk with his dog. And I was tired, and I wanted to smile and wave and go back in the house. <laughs> and I'm praying for him, and I'm like, you're an idiot, you can't do that. And so we talk, and I reconnected with a neighbor. We talked about home prices, we talked about his dog, he's got a cool dog, it's what's on his mind. We just connected and I walk away saying, there was a chance to ring the bell. I didn't once. Good. What's the next step? How can you take the next step in pursuing people who need Jesus? Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Christian life is a call to endure. And a life of endurance that will be celebrated for all eternity is made up of a thousand microscopic choices to not quit when we could and simply take the next step. I'm so encouraged by so many of you who I see taking steps. It's the church being the church. Can I encourage us all the more? What are the next steps? As the music team comes back up to lead us in worship, I want to encourage us to spend some time just reflecting on that. Just asking God, Lord, what is the next step for me? Do I need to get to know you better? Do I need to serve you more? Do I need to pray for somebody? What is your next step? To be the people who endure, who continue to pursue God, the gathered church, one another, and the lost. Because God says none of that effort is wasted. If we're praying for and relying on his spirit, every act of faithfulness is not only empowered by his spirit, but will be used by him for his glory. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use this church. Let's endure and let's just see what our God will do. Father God, we come before you just asking that you would not only teach us, but that you would change us, that you would cause us to learn in a way that transforms the entire heart. Forgive us our faithlessness. Forgive us our discouragement. And yet we realize we live in discouraging times. I pray, God, that you would encourage us in one another's company with your word, that you would empower us with your spirit, that you would lead thousands of people in our community to eternal life and faith in Christ because of the faithful witness of our church and many churches like us who are seeking to live and to serve you. God, take what we cannot do and do for others what we cannot do for ourselves, change our lives. We give you our lives and worship you now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.